Good morning and welcome to your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon. I'm here with the illustrious, elusive, evasive... Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Those are all the words that came to mind. Only to about 99% of the population. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I have a bone to pick with you already out of the gate this morning. Really? Yep. That I didn't hear about before the show? Nope. There's more? Nope. It's going to be about that because the listeners need to hear that you did not call me to tell me about your three-hour tour of watching a snowy owl over the weekend. I didn't have a three-hour tour of watching a snowy Well, you went to lunch. You saw it. I thought it would just aggravate you. (laughs) Because you've been on the hunt for the snowy owl and sometimes I drive out and on a turnpike, they're just sitting there. Mm. Sometimes on the top of the pink house, sometimes in the marsh. That pink house is so god-awful ugly, and they need to tear it down. I agree. <laughs> and, and it's heresy. I will be thrown off the island for this. But I, I, if I see one more picture of the pink house, I'm just done. That pink house is like... Do you know the story behind it? That that pink house scares me. There's a, So you guys are listening. There's yeah. a pink house out near where Lou lives. Yeah. And it's right near where you have to go to look for the snowy owl that I never see, but he yeah. does. And it's a creepy... It's such a creepy house. Do you know the story behind it? No, I don't. It's a spite house. What? It's a spite house. Really? Yes. Um, There was a divorce agreement that said that the husband had to build for the wife, the ex-wife, a house that was exactly like theirs, but it didn't specify where. So he built this house out in the marsh. There's no... The reason it's uninhabited is there was there was no electricity at the time. There was no sewage. There was no running well, it's water. Smack in the middle of the marsh. It's just smack in the middle of the marsh. It's a cre- I get a creepy feeling yeah. every time I'm near it. I'm like, Ugh. so that would make explain because yeah, there's a lot a, of bad mojo. With yeah, it. it's a spite house. It's a spite house. I yeah. love that. Yeah, just advice now to I'm read your divorce agreement carefully. Quite the same way. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. No. Everybody loves it. There's a save the pink house thing. Everyone thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I could do without it. Save the snowy owl. So well. So anyway. So I walk in this morning, and Lou says, <laughs> "Did you see a snowy owl? No, I didn't. But he did. So he was on the, the jam of the road that everyone was watching the snowy owl. And my friend, who's a photographer, actually saw that snowy owl. I just showed Lou a picture of yeah. that snowy owl that. He watched for three hours that day. And I didn't watch it for three no, hours. No, my friend did. Oh, okay. My friend did. But you yeah. said you did see it and then went to lunch for a couple hours and then came back and it was still I'm sitting sorry, there. I'm sorry, was that the same owl you showed me a picture? I would imagine it was the okay. same owl the other day. Because this was... owl was just sitting there. He wasn't flying. Well, you said you were only... Oh, forget it. Yeah, okay. You were only seeing him for two seconds because you went to lunch and came back. I mean, he yeah. probably flew and sat back Well, he down. was... I mean, seriously. <laughs> he was in the same place. <laughs> Don't you love our banter? Yeah. I think people You think that owl got up and left? And then came back and said, I'm going to go sit right in the same place I was two hours yes, ago. Yes, because that's what my eagles do down at Mystic. They just go same and sit spot. in the tree, and then they fly away, and they come back to the same tree. Okay. Just saying. Maybe they're creatures of habit. So anyway, well, I missed enough of the snowy owl. I did miss all birds this weekend because I was away at a different area. That's right. I didn't see moose where I was, which I was looking for. Of never, course, I didn't see them, but everybody else did. I've never seen a moose. Well, I haven't seen a moose live since yeah. I was a child, and we have been on the hunt for that. So much so that, because this is good for my mental health, because you know how much I love animals. So we have gone on the tours that are 99% always see them. We went on the tour two summers ago and still didn't see them really? <laughs> on a night that they'd had 99% hit rates every single night all summer long. And yeah. Because and, this weekend, I just declared it a bucket list thing for the summer that I'm going to see a moose. And I was thinking doing one of the tours, because I know tours exist up there. Don't take me, because as soon as I go, you won't see anything. (laughs) You'll see, you know, a duck. What does it say about me psychologically that I have a thing for animals with antlers? Elk. (laughs) Oh, my mind has been to so many different places. Freud Freud popped in, and I was like, ooh, we're going to go right down the Freud route. I don't know how Freudian it is. Well, Well, antlers would be Freudian. I guess. So... I don't know. Maybe it's just they're just beautiful and majestic. Yeah, and they're amazing. There's a couple sites after after we are done today. I will give you my moose sites that I can show nice. you, and they okay. post up pictures every day. You can join yet another group of pictures yep. that you can see on a daily. I've saved a couple of videos of albino mooses. Uh, mooses? Can you imagine? Meese? Can you imagine being in the woods of Maine somewhere and, and walking, you know, pe- crossing the path of an albino moose? Now. I have a question. Yes. Is it really an albino moose, or is it a moose that has the tick disease that turned white because it's sucking the blood out of it? I didn't take its resume. It was a, it was a video. I don't know. 
So I'm just yeah. wondering. Because I know that there are albino moose, but I know that... There are, there's a tick thing that... So, yes, there's a tick Takes horn. all the pigmentation out of... Well, it kills the moose. So it makes yeah. them look ghost-like. Okay. And so it's it's a disease I mean, ghost-like get... like pale? Because this moose was white. I mean, it was... Oh, yeah. No, yeah. they get like pale and... Yeah, no. Like, you know, ashy. Yeah. Ashy color. So... Ghostly. Ghosty. No. Yeah, they look ghosty because no, they're dying. White. The, the ticks yeah. are... Right. Well, now that we've had our animal husbandry <laughs> <laughs> lessons for the day. So today, happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way. I know. I keep forgetting. I know. I'm not wearing a stitch of green, and I Me am Irish. I know. Me too. Actually, so here's the thing, a gene thing, because you know how I did St. Valentine's Day, and I was like, oh, here's what it is. I never even looked up St. Patrick's Day to find out really where the origin is, even though I have an idea because I grew up under, you know, the corned beef and cabbage and all that stuff. St. Um, Patrick's snakes? I mean, I, what more origin do you need to know? I, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. know. Um, but the St. Patrick's Day... Um, oh, I just lost my train of thought because you started talking about snakes. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, St. Patrick's Day is um, uh, quite big and in many people's lives. And I realized that when I did my DNA... Um, much to, I'm sure, my family's dismay, I'm very minimal on the Irish side and much more Spanish. Really? New, I'm New Iberian, which will make, um, Steve, if you're listening, I know that that cracks you up when I say that, so I'm going to say New Iberian one more time because <laughs> because um, when I say it, I know that he laughs and they like to pick on me. Steve As opposed to Old Iberian? What? As opposed to Old Iberian? I, yes. It's just what it's... I, I just read what it says on my thing, okay, you know, it, so it's... you got to explain this you got to explain this to me. Okay. If we were here in the U.S., right, is there a DNA difference between somebody who lives in Massachusetts and somebody who lives in Pennsylvania? Um, well, of course, DNA, we're immigrants. Well, there's a DNA yeah. difference in the human being who they've crossed yeah, with I another see, human yeah. being, but... In terms of DNA, it's as like, a what's human the difference being? between no. France and Spain from a DNA standpoint? What's the difference between France and Spain? And well, because there's markers. Yeah. There's there's certain genetic markers. Are you mm -hmm. being serious? Because I'm going to answer this. Semi serious. Okay, yeah. Because I'm. Ugh. Well, no, I'm going to no. answer it seriously. So there are certain genetic markers for each like ethnicity, each color of skin, each hair follicle, each, like eye color. So so we have the same gene codes, but then it's how they're mixed and yeah. then what the markers are on the DNA. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice. Mm -hmm. On the DNA itself as the marker. So, so you know, it's kind of like when we talk about ADD or depression or yeah. addiction. You know, there's genes for that, and there's and how do we know? Because there's special markers that you can that are labeled for, and you can see them in the coding and how they're yeah. combined. So there's nothing between someone that lives in France or Spain because they're both human beings by DNA code. But then there's differentiations based on who they were, who they were, who made them, right. and who came together with whatever color of hair and eyes and and you know where they came from for skin and you know whatever. I'm guessing there was a lot of interaction between the French and the Spanish. I, going back as long as there were I, French I and Spanish. I, well, I would think that anything anything in that whole region yeah, exactly. is, yeah. is a huge crossover, which sort of I can see that in my DNA, you know, lineup where, you know, because it, it matches it all out. Have you ever done that? The, yeah. Okay, so the DNA lineup on 23andMe, that's what I did. And it gives you, like, every single little last stitch of what you could possibly be. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in order of how it falls out. And but we're just, Irish, so we're a lot of interaction with the English, and yet I don't right. show up a lot of English in my so, DNA. Well, so, yeah, so there's, so there's Irish, so going back to St. Patrick's Day, so there's a lot of Irish, but I'm not as much Irish as, you know, when you grow up, you're like, you're half Irish and you're half this. And right, like, yeah. yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, make it, to I'm make like, it simple. I, yeah. But so. don't, don't dig into that too deeply because I've, I did my DNA on Ancestry. Yep. And they do updates all the time and mm -hmm. things change rather mm -hmm significantly they, yeah they do updates on on mine too because they they say oh but nothing changed from where i was from it's more like who i'm connected to plus on the last update my daughter came up with zero italian which is hard to believe because she's the mailman's child <laughs> <laughs> no if you saw her i think we're all safe but okay yeah okay yeah <laughs> Well, hey, they used to joke that I was the mailman's child because I yeah. had curly hair. I looked like the, this guy, his name, the mailman, his name was Al Pulley in little Ludlow, Vermont. And that's where I was born and raised. Yeah. And he had red hair, curly, and 
I had curly hair, so the running joke in my family was that I was his child. But, yep. I mean, you know. That, how did, how did that, Al feel about that? That's the damaging stuff yeah. that happens in the 70s to children that makes me who I am today. <laughs> yeah, I could see it, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and if he's listening, I don't even know if he's still alive, but, God, I'm sorry if I just outed you for that joke, Al. <laughs> Um, so today's topic, mm-hmm. now that we've gotten through all of our other stuff, yep. I'm going to talk today about wellness wheels. Do you know what a wellness wheel is? I do not. Um, so one of the techniques I use in, in my daily um, with clients is, um, and not all clients, but some, because they really focus on you know just having the full spectrum of their overall wellness, is I do a, a diagram of a circle split it into eight pieces like a pie, mm-hmm. a wellness wheel. Or yep. a, and I referenced this a week ago or the last two times, I think. Um, just the different parts of it. So I usually put into eight slices. You can do more, but I usually just make it into like a pizza pie kind of looking thing. Sure. And and it has each significant piece of your life that you value in it. So I do an example where it has, um, in you know, it has social, spiritual, family, vocational, environmental. Um, you know, so it has eight pieces that are important. Yep. Um, so I do it out so that you can see it and what those things mean. And what you do is making sure that you have each each of the pieces of the pie labeled with what goes into them so that when something doesn't feel good or something doesn't feel um, like it's moving forward, you look at the wellness wheel to see which part is really struggling or, you know, making the, like last week I talked about the bicycle wheel that was like floppy. It's because something in the wellness wheel isn't really functioning the best or it needs to be worked on so a lot of times we're very lopsided we'll be very heavily loaded like last week we talked about work and then and then when that's something's going on there and we're neglecting the other it makes the lopsided wheel so i thought well we should talk about the fact that the wellness wheel actually is a great way to manage your day-to-day life and especially because people are talking about coming out of the pandemic and feeling like they have a very floppy wheel yeah (laughs) because it's been heavily loaded for very specific things and kind of coming back to a sense of what their their healthy wheel will look like note that i stay away from normal the word normal because it's going to be very different because so many things have changed for people and and not going back to work in in traditional sense and going back to school yes but in different ways so so really talking about the aspects of that so one of the biggest i like it because it um it's awareness it's awareness based and it makes you focus because a lot of people don't focus they just you know stuff's wrong and they don't do the work to try to pin it down a little bit so in and this was driven yesterday actually i had i had a couple clients in a row yesterday that were talking to me about anxiety and one of the biggest things i hear is why why do i have anxiety and when i say what are you thinking about that often gets poo-pooed and pushed to the side like what do you mean it doesn't matter what i'm thinking about yeah right well it does matter what you're thinking about because what you're thinking about is being driven by something on that wellness wheel that's not working right so it's a you know we talk about threat generation and fear generation and all those things but anxiety comes from some spoke of that wheel not working and why it isn't working well you have to really go through and say well because these pieces aren't working in it so yesterday when i was talking to one of my clients about this it was the anxiety was coming from something that you know they hadn't identified and when we went through the wheel and looked at really specific... And that's processing, right? Yeah. Actually getting down to the point of, of coalescing it into words and thoughts is processing. And they hadn't done that. I'm just anxious or I feel bad. Right. And so, yeah. and this is, this is a notorious problem for people in general. Like this is, people say, I'm anxious. I don't know why. It just comes on me. Right. Those yeah. are like, and it's because they haven't done the process. And usually, I have to do that over and over with people. You know, you repeat, you repeat to get anxious. So therefore, you have to repeat to become unanxious. So I go over and over in this process of you have to get down to I call it the core center of this, right. which is what's driving the belief that's creating the anticipation of the fear that's generated because of something that's not going right. It's usually anticipatory anxiety because of something fear-based, as we've talked about before, like in the future, or something that's dragging from the past, or like what might happen, what could happen, what should happen, what may happen, right. what doesn't happen. What, um, so it's it's about looking at the anxiety that's um, from the real base process of, I'm anxious, why? Well, what's going on? So I always go to, what's going on now? Right. What was going on when you were anxious? What was... And, and usually the answer I get is, well, nothing. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's it's never nothing. So yeah. I will 100% guarantee across the board, it's never nothing. It might not be something right in that moment, but it's something that's coming right. or it's something that's bad. But so what you do is you look at it and you say, okay, what is going on? Well, so in this particular case, it's, you know, okay, this person had a panic attack because, and a full-blown panic attack because they felt that their whole, like, control of what was going on in their life was being taken over by this other thing. But they had pragmatically and intellectually said, well, that thing is, that has to happen because it's just how the life right now has to go versus, well, that's making you feel out of control. And when you felt out of control because you don't feel like you have another choice to do something else, which you actually do, right. that so it's it, we had to you know take all the layers off of it to get down to the core, which is he, he, this person didn't want to do that. This yeah. person didn't want to be doing the thing that they were doing, and it was giving them anxiety because it was going against their free will, and they felt like they really didn't have a choice. And when I ended it with them around when we got to the core, I said, "You have a choice. Always have a choice." Yeah then it's, well, the anxiety comes up of feeling so stuck in a corner because you don't really have a choice if you're stuck in the corner because you feel like you right. have to because you're obligated. So all these little pieces are things that are outside people's awareness because it's just that overarching physical feeling that comes up because they look at, like, the whole slice on the wellness wheel, right? So you take a job, and they're looking at the whole thing and just being like, it's overwhelming, and I'm anxious, and so my whole body's anxious, and then you're like, well, it's actually not just that. It's the fact that you're focusing on that, but all the other pieces that are in your wheel are being neglected. Yeah. Because you don't realize that all those other things could give you relief for this. But people don't see that. They they stay that narrow tunnel vision, and then the wellness wheel goes. <laughs> oh, that's, what, that's where all the energy goes. It goes to the threat. It, right. It goes to the threat, and so the rest of the wheel drops off, and then that's, you know, it just becomes unmanageable for many people, which is, you know, it's kind of the difference between being like sort of light anxiety versus panic or overwhelmed to the, you know, the shortness of breath and the chest pains and the, oh my gosh, because it's the whole shift in focus goes right over to that. So I like to give visuals. So, you know, I, I've obviously painted the picture of the wellness wheel, but when you think of anxiety and you think, or you think of like any kind of mental, emotional health issue that comes up that feels off in your, in your wheel, it's like train tracks neurologically have been driven into your brain. So if you imagine your brain having train tracks, it does. It has train tracks that keep going, um, that keep getting followed neurologically. Your neurons keep firing over and over when you threat generate or when you feel worried or nervous. And if you're not training your brain to derail and make a new set of tracks or stop at the relay station and go, okay, I have choices to go different directions here. If you don't train your brain to do that, you're, you're just running in those tracks deeper and deeper and deeper, which is why the time, you know, if, if kids have anxiety and then they become 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds with anxiety right. and all they've done to manage that is, um, take anti-anxiety medication or it's, right. it's, yeah. it's what it's done is it's solidified the, um, those neuropathways, those train tracks even more because now the brain associates the feeling and the thought together. You know, the thought has be become the feeling and then that's created the physical feeling and then it's been medicated with the bandage of the anti-anxiety but nothing's touching the yeah. process of getting underneath to look at, oh, my wellness wheel could be fixed in many different ways if I just went underneath and did this and those train tracks would be rerouted. Yeah, you're medicating the symptoms as opposed to the cause. Right. Yeah. So medication, medi you know, in, in psych, medication, it, it's not like taking an antibiotic and curing, you know. The, ca the cause. Right. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work like that. No. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a preventative only essentially, and I use that loosely because not really preventing anything because people will be still anxious or depressed or have those symptoms because, you know, they have breakthrough symptoms of those things because medication in psych is just a nice... It's management. You know, it's just a Band-Aid. It's yeah. a nice cover, and, and people hate it when I say that, but there's, there's you know, that's, I mean, that's just the way it is. There's no cures in, in, in psych for that stuff. It just doesn't work like that. Right. So... Um, you still have to do the work, which is why there's such a billion-dollar business in psych meds because people still aren't willing, always, 
much more now because the trend is much more now, but not willing to do the work. Instant gratification, right, to get the wellness wheel back up and running. They're not right. actually doing any work on the wheel. They're medicating it. And when people don't do talk therapy or they don't do, and you don't have to do talk therapy. It would be any piece of the wheel that, you know, do yoga, go for a walk, um, take a drive, read a book, doing things that are outside of just sitting on that spoke that's not working is really the movement towards yeah. better wellness. What I like do you think it. of that? No, I like it. I like it a lot. Again, visualizing it and focusing your attention on a specific cause is better than dealing with the general hover of whatever it is that is causing the anxiety. Right. Because if you never identify it, you never approach it. You never try to deal with it. Mm-hmm. The thing for me, and late in my life, and the lesson I wish I learned earlier, but I don't know if you can. <laughs> if you can. I get very protective about my mental energy. Because right. what happens is whatever is drawing your anxiety is taking the large bulk of your mental energy. Mm-hmm. And what happens is as we get into our 20s and 30s and 40s, our mental energy is demanded more and more and more. And we think there's an unlimited supply, but that's, you know, and we think we have enough to give to our anxiety and yet give to our family and give to our job and, and give to our fun and ourselves. And we don't. So you have to get protective about it. Right. You have to be selective about where you put your mental energy. <laughs> well, it's it's like at, uh, the way I explain it to clients is that it's like energy conservation. Yeah. Is like how how do you split your energy to make it work for you? And every you know everyone's different. <laughs> I get that question all the time of like, okay, what's the answer? Well, it depends. <laughs> yeah. That's my standard. It depends, and it's also um, individual based. You know, there's kind of a, there's a global generalization that can be made for these things, but it's really based on who you are and your wheel, your own wheel. So it, you know, where's your energy being conserved or expended way too much? And how then do you look at it and, and, and fix it? And look at it to me, looking at it as a return is important. In other words, I'm putting this much energy into this. Am I getting a return for it? Right. Is it easing my anxiety? Is it making me happy? Is it making me money? Is it, you know, am I getting a return for this? So is it worth it? And what comes to mind immediately is social media. Right. Uh, the amount of mental energy we put into social media and fighting with demons that, you know, we'll never meet, we never know. Right. Just railing. I mean, that's a lot of energy expended for n- no return. For Right. Well, it, well, that would be dependent because some people would say that there's a return because, you know, for instance, if you have someone that's engaging in that and they enjoy the fight or the or the or they enjoy the debate or they enjoy just putting out knowledge, they get a benefit. But yeah. most often, like you're saying, every almost every person I can't even think of one right now that's social media driven in any way. Even when I'm on social media, if I see something that I'm like, Ugh, it gives me a little, you know, yeah. nervousness of like, oh man, why yeah. do you have to say that or. Why is that there? So, <clears throat> but I'm guessing you do what, what I do is do that check. Right. It's like you start to go off and I'm going to write a return. And then go, like, no, I'm not going to spend the next half hour writing a reply to this guy who's not going to get it anyway. Right. You know, what's the point? Exactly. You just walk away. Right. And, and, but, and to the point, though, there are people that do spend, and you see it over sure. and over again, like thousands of words on stuff, and you just kind of roll your eyes going, it, yeah. it's not landing on anyone, but I was I'm that hoping guy. that they felt good. Yeah. That they had to say something because it's driving them because there's nothing else, you know, going on. That's where, you, where I usually end it in my head going, oh, you need a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because this is what you're doing all day, you know, that and but yeah, so expending a lot of energy on the social. So that would go into the social wellness spoke. Yeah. Um, and 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 so if it's creating anxiety, a lot of times people don't realize that social media is creating anxiety because it's just become yeah. so part of their their train track that it's creating something yeah. in their life on a daily that's making them or fight or flight constantly. You're always on alert, always on alert, always on alert. Or you're an adult child with your own family and you're worried about what your mother is saying about you, about yes. what a sister or a sibling is saying about you. And right. it's like, and they're in another part of the country and you have your own life and it's like, why? Why are we putting any energy into this? And At a certain point, you get to, why am I, I'm going to spend my afternoon being upset for what my mother said about me or what so, I think my sisters are saying about me. And that's yeah. the, so that's the family wheel. And that's, that's such a good point about how important 
um, looking at that piece is about what you worry about about what other people think. That's probably one of the most common things yeah. I see in my practice across the board. All athletes, all kids, all, you know, like, well, what will someone think? What will they think? And it's often this, I call it the committee, the <laughs> nameless, faceless yep. committee, because I'm like, who is this person that, you know, you're worried about? Kind of like, I'm going to clean my house in case someone comes over. I don't know who they are, but they're coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, it's the same thing as, well, who, but it's, it's actually does have a face. And in the work that we're talking about, getting to the base of, of an anxiety, like being self-conscious or worrying about what other people are going to think about what you say, do, make a decision on, that's driven from childhood of, it's a socially normed tactic, a parenting tactic yes. to get you to conform. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, depending on how rigid that's structured in your train tracks in your brain, it gives you that, that feedback, a loop constantly that no one ends up having to speak it to you anymore. You've just known it in your life that, well, you've always got your parent in your head or that teacher in your head or whoever laid the tracks usually family wins yep. those tracks. So when you're talking about the family wheel and one of the biggest things is, oh, well, I'm worried about what my mom or dad or grandma or grandpa might say. It really, you know, it's really worth looking at that going at the end of the day. Here's my question. What does it matter? Right. How is that going to change their lives or your life? It, who cares if you decide, you know, I have an example of, I have a client who has a, um, I would say a controlling father yeah. and she's older, like late thirties, early forties. Yeah. And, and yeah. she, ha she doesn't make decisions based on what she wants. She does them based on the fear of like, well, if he finds out and he doesn't like it, then I'm going to be in trouble. I'm like, you're 40. Yeah. You're 40. And just reminding her of her age. Right. Yep. It kind of sets her into an awareness mode of like, you know, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, why, why are you at 40 becoming the little Sally right. who's four because it meant something that dad would be mad? It doesn't matter if dad, it, it, you got a Jeep and he would rather you have an Audi. He's not driving it. Yeah. So why does it matter? Right. So, and, and, but this is a very common drive of wellness wheel stuff is that yeah. people worry what other people are going to think. How Imagine being 40 them. years old and making a decision, a car decision based on what your parents want you to drive. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's stunning. What, what I have clients who have, who are in their forties and fifties who still call their parent to find out if they think that the thing that they're wearing looks good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's actually not, and it's not like a mental health issue. Like these people are so crazy or something. No, it's actually really no. common. Yeah. It's really common. And it goes back to that talk we had many months ago about codependency. It's a, there's a codependency track in that. And you know, there's lots of pieces that you can see, um, familially relationship wise, you know, you have your two wellness wheel pieces there that I'm not secure enough in my own self. So I have to check in yeah. to make sure that the decisions I'm making are okay, which means the person sits in their anxiety all the time. Yeah. The only reward there, in. the only reward there is you get to stop hitting yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not even like the parent is creating the punishment. If there's a conflict, you're creating the punishment with the anxiety of the conflict before it even happens. Right. Because, yeah. And the reason why you do that is because we call that recapitulating the family of origin issues say that five times oh, wow. fast yeah the recapitulating of the family of origin issues you don't have to have your parent there telling you that anymore you've gotten it so ingrained in the train track that you're doing it yourself as a feedback mechanism to keep you in check right but what you haven't realized because you haven't done the awareness work is that it's actually keeping you in the anxiety that kept you to comply at the time when you were little to stay in check yeah and again i always have to say this is not blaming moms and dads this is just a this is just a byproduct of how people get people to do things and then it gets residual stuck. Yep. And then here we are as an adult with all this anxiety over worrying about, did I make the right decision? What do you think of my decision? Reassuring, reassuring. And at that point it's, it's self-imposed. It's a, you know, depressed, like depression. It becomes yeah. depressing because many people have this issue that becomes depression 
and, and people will say, oh, that's a leap. No, it's actually, you know, being perfectionistic, which is really what we're talking about, is like being able to be perfect enough, to be worthy enough, to have the love that we deserve, yep. then turns into a self-imposed prison, which is very depressing. That's and the part that, get really stuck. That's the part that's stunning to me. It's all self-imposed. You get into that situation, uh, um, your parents disagree with the car you buy. You're 40 years old and your parents disagree with the car you buy. What's the consequence of that? What's the downside? <laughs> well, it's and, and so I, I I was listening to you. I was listen, I was yeah, reading no, some I of our comments. Um, the downside is I mean, there's a couple of things. Is that it's it's the fear of disappointing some. I mean, there's so many little caveats in the head. You know, it's the fear of disappointing someone. If what if they disagree because they've held that person's opinion to such a high standard? Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like you never want to get the look from your parent. I, I grew up with that look. And if you got the look, you knew you were dead kind of thing. <laughs> and you didn't want to have that look. And now, you know, in my... Well, when you were a kid, there was a consequence to that. Right. As an adult, there's no consequence to that. Yeah. But you don't you don't make that leap. Yeah. And that's why the anxiety stays. Cause that's, and I use that as a common example because everyone has... Most people have the look from one parent that's like, oh, that look, I got the look, and it would stay. So you know that we socialize into if you get a look or if you're, if you're reading off of someone's social cue in their face or their body language... You know that there's a consequence. What the consequence is, who, right, who knows? Like, who who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? And, and, you know. The consequence is self-imposed. It's the anxiety it's about the, that conflict that you're putting on yourself. Well, it's the anxiety that comes up. And what the consequence is internally is that you're, that you're interpreting shame or guilt. They're either bad person, shame. Yeah. I am bad. Or that I'm going to be perceived as doing something bad and not perfect guilt right and therefore that keeps us in check and keeps that train track going and we just do it automatically because it's what we know so to change it you have to stop the train yeah. and go this is what you're doing and this is what's happening and what you just said i say i feel like i say it at least 50 times a week going who cares yeah who cares and people stop literally like a track and they're like well what do you mean i'm like yeah why does it matter why does it matter? Well, because, you know, they're my they're my dad or they're my mom or they're my spouse. Yeah, but it's your decision. And how's it imp unless it's imposing on someone else, and this is the way I look at it, right? right? Psychologically, unless it's imposing on someone else and crossing their boundaries and violating them in some emotional or physical or sexual way that's inappropriate to relationships, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, if you don't want to eat that or you don't want to do that or you don't want to go somewhere, it's okay to say no or whatever it is, right? There, is no, are... there is no negative consequence to your father to buy the car that he doesn't approve of. Right. I mean, Except for the fact in your head that you think he's going to judge. And he will. Because yeah. this is, I mean, the, but, I mean, there is proof that he will judge it. Sure. Then it's just a matter of you go, well, but yeah, then but, what? I'm, <laughs> I, but I didn't want that car. Yeah. I wanted this car. Yeah. Because, but that comes from, so it's, it's, it's so, um, deeply rooted in so many complicated pieces. Cause it's not just a clean straight line right. on the train track. It's, it's got so many, um, I'm trying to keep the metaphor with the train track. It's got so many little offshoots that could be taken that were driven into stay on the track. And here's the things that keep us on the track by, you know, well, if you do this, then this, and if you do that, then this, and if you do this, then that. This goes back to the thing I was talking about, about being protective of your energy, right? your mental energy. Because mm -hmm. what happens is when you do that, you have to um, vet what you're spending it on. And you really have to decide whether it's worth it or not. And right. I, I think if you examine that, it's like, oh, I'm going to buy the Jeep. I want the Jeep. It makes me happy. Right. And, and you, you can, by the way, good choice. Always a good choice. Buy the Jeep. <laughs> but but uh, you, you only have, when you realize there's a limit to your mental energy. Right. You're more protective of it, and you do spend it on more worthy things. Exactly. You, you can't have all you, you can't have all these holes in the bucket, all these things that don't mean anything, like some guy you don't even know on social media, right? Or your father's opinion of what car you buy, right? You know, exactly. in your forties. Exactly. You, you just decide, oh, no, I haven't, got, I haven't got the energy to give to that. Right. Yeah. Well, well hopefully that's what you decide. Well, and well, and you would so the the hope for well a wellness wheel is to to divide your energy to be equalized so that you have balance enough so that you don't have the um, threat generation of the thoughts that you have becoming fears and, and, and then acting on them right. and derailing you. So, I mean, summarizing kind of what you just said is really putting your energy in the right places, 
but having to back up a step that you have to know where the energy is in the first place. Yeah. And, and human beings, anecdotally, at least in my world, in my practice of including athletes, they are spot on, for instance, in all their athleticism for the most part in terms of awareness. Yeah. But then you go outside their other parts of their wellness wheel and it's like zippity doodah and don't know what's going on because the focus is here. So it's really about broadening the ability to look at all the pieces. And that doesn't mean it has to be a hundred percent equal across the board. It has to just be with, are you checking in with yourself and living with an intention to know today's not going well. Why isn't it going well? Cause this thing is, and that thing yeah. isn't, but that's okay because I can still function with that. Most people just function. Uh, today's not going well. Today's a terrible day. I've told you this before. If I was always the person I was as an athlete, right. My life would have been a lot better and a lot easier you learn things as an athlete you learn um about your mindset and your well-being as an athlete right and it's like as i went further and further into my work i kept thinking i knew all this as an athlete why couldn't i ever apply it to real life and a lot of it is about and of course it's easier in athletics because it's quant a lot of it's quantifiable Viable, right. and you see gains and you see you know losses and you you know well, it's more so so here's the thing is to your point so it's tangible in athleticism yeah. right it's yeah. very tangible but all things in athletics transfer over which is why i am a big push on parents to get kids into sports yeah. early and that doesn't mean they have to be superstars it means get them in because the life lessons it teaches across the board and keeping them connected to that throughout their early youth all the way up through it's not about them being an olympian it's about them learning wellness wheel skills yeah. leadership self-confidence socialization spirituality whatever that means to you because it is it's like a, a faith and belief system in something yes um vocation uh st you know structure all these things that really matter so that when when a person goes out in the world it's all transferable and so to you lou if i had known you then i would say when you're not doing this sport anymore when baseball ends or whenever hockey ends you're going to take all these skills and you're going to yeah. apply them to everyday life as you're doing now all the time. Most importantly, I think, dealing with adversity. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the most important skill you learn in, in, in sports. And, and, and I think that's why it's so important for kids to have an, a, a sport or have an activity that's, that's giving that kind of broad right. strokes because it's, you are training them to no failure loss, winning, stuff in between, social interactions, how to manage relationships, yep. how to like it's such a great way to really encourage people to um become healthier adults. Yeah. Um because the Funny, you manage relationships. Is, I under you, just thinking back on it now I underestimate the re, the relationship skills that you learn as part of a team sport. Yes. As, that your relationships with your coaches which is like your parents, your relationships with your teammates, or like you know friends, and it's just there's ups and downs. You have to manage all that. You have to you have to maintain it. There's a lot you learn there too, relationship skills. Well, and I and I think and I think that that's why, you know, that's one of the questions I always ask of anybody that comes in my office is you know if you're an adult, I'm like, what sport have you played and do you play? Because it gives me a sense of where they're at, yep. right? Which most clinical psychologists, I don't know if they ask that, but I sure know that myself and a couple other colleagues like me, we always ask that because it gives us information about who they are as people. Because if they played a sport, group or or individual, it tells us a lot about what their wheel's gonna look like. Um, and, if, and if you are listening today and you're thinking, oh, I was a hockey player or I was a gymnast or I was a swimmer or a skater, whatever it was, you can look at that and go, what did I learn? Really yeah. take a good awareness look at that. Like, what did I learn about how to be in the world mm -hmm. and maybe see if that like gives you some kind of extra bump today in a good way of like, Oh, you know, that, that taught me how to really function over here. And that taught me how we just take everything for granted like that. Instead of looking at going, Oh, I can actually apply what I did with coach Kim and put it over there from 20 years ago. And instead of what people do is they compartmentalize it and they're like, okay, that's over now. And now I'm moving on. You know, the memes that you've seen where some of you have never done this and it shows. Yes. For me, yes. it's always in my head. It's some people have never played team sports and it shows. Yes. You know, the people you, you just run into people in life and you never played a team sport. It, it, Don't it, understand the concept. Right. And yeah. the, and the, um, it, well, cause it lacks, it lacks the universal shared experience. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to have the universal shared experience of something. So they have 
they have um, a comrade group to go to. I know this sounds ethereal, and I don't mean it to be, but <clears throat> having something different than your other than yourself to to Talk work to. to it. No, to work to it. Yeah. In other words, most people you run into are they're in it for their gain, and your interactions. You see it. Their priority is their gain. And that's fine. We all have to take care of ourselves. Me, 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 me. But in a work environment, in many environments, in a relationship environment, sometimes the realization, you know, the greater good, the good of the team, the good of the relationship, the good of the job, the good of the, you know, the product, the company. Sometimes, you know, that's, it's not only more productive (laughs) to live that way, it's often happier to live that way. Well, and it's it's interesting because when you look at, now I get very psychological and very statistical and researchy, when you look at the diversity um, uh, constructs around, you know, Indonesian culture versus American culture, for instance, um, one of the happiness factors is really going towards what you're talking about is, you know, Indonesian countries tend to be, not tend, they are, collectivist. So it's all for all. Right. And not what we are, which is me. All for one. <laughs> all for one. Yeah. So, and, and that's, and, you know, Western culture is very much like that. But, yep. you know, as, as United States and American culture, we're very much about that. Um, and then it depends on the family you're in and who, whatever, in terms of being more collectivistic. But by and large, we have that mindset, which is one of the biggest complaints about, you know, um, the generations that are beneath us is that, you know, it's become more I, I, I. And going away from collectivist, and then we know developmentally as people grow, they're, they become more community-based, you know, their 30s and 40s, and what yeah. can I give back, and how do I leave a legacy? Um, but that's been the concern in psychology, you know, American Psych Association, and everyone's been doing a lot of research on how do we get the Gen Xers and all the, you know, the other ones coming, yeah. the Zers and everything, coming up to be like, oh, I hope they are community-based because there's so much focus on, Self, because ultimately that's unsatisfying. I basically well, eventually, ultimately it is, and you find once you get into a situation, if you're lucky enough to do it with a team sport and have success, right, and you realize that there is self joy in being part of this bigger accomplishment, right, with a bunch of people. I mean, that's real joy as opposed to just hoarding, you know, hoarding your own interests, right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think I and so so to that point, because people will say, well, I'm an adult. There's no team sports to play. You know, it's past my. Pro-. No, no. Yeah. So just so everyone knows, even in the pandemic and this will be coming back for sure with a vengeance because people are like ready to go. There are team sports for all kinds of things for adults from you could be 20 years old all the way up to 80. As long as you can play and you can do it safely, it's out there. Yeah. So. It's, I mean, there's a kickball team for people, (laughs) like there's softball for people, baseball, hockey leagues for just rec for that. You know, there's running groups, obviously, you know, I belong to a running group. That's like a huge thing. Um, But just, you know, in case you feel like, oh, I missed it. I didn't do that when I was a kid or I didn't have that opportunity. You can still do it. But there are other non-sports specific things. You get on a committee to build a, a youth center. Right. The Habitat feeling, for humanity, do anything like that, absolutely. The feeling when the youth center gets built, you you put a year, year and a half in fundraising or whatever is involved in it, and you get the youth center built, I mean, that's team sport. That's accomplishing right. a greater good. That's that's right. a sense of satisfaction. Right, Just exactly. being part of a community. Right, yeah. and and then... <clears throat> so I have these, I have different patients running through my head and, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, the, the answers to that would be like, I'm not social. I don't participate yeah. like that. And this, and this would be the exact link. Why? Exactly. Because you yeah. didn't, you, yeah. d- you don't do that because you didn't have the exposure to do that. So you don't know what the benefit of doing that is. So now there's, you know, the, I'm thinking of a couple that are like, you know, well, it's, it's scary. No one will like me. Right, but you've because know, you haven't been able to sit with the the adversity of someone not liking you yep. well. You sat with the adversity of someone not liking you, but you haven't been able to traverse that ground because you don't know how to to get around it. To be like, okay, how right. do I do this? Because you never had the exposure. So it comes down to that exposure field for the wellness wheel of like, what are you exposed to to be able to give yourself an upper leg or a hand up to to get the anxiety to come down to be able to do like yep. step out and do something new. Yep. But yeah. you know, and I'm doing this I'm doing this podcast on on the Gita. Yes. I'm a, I'm 100 some odd episodes in now. And there is a it's true when you just have the mindset of working for <clears throat> the bigger <clears throat> the bigger good, not to sound corny, 
but the bigger good, doing the right thing right. and helping out, the rewards just start coming to you. Exactly. And even the personal rewards right. start coming to you. It's just a, it's just a different mindset and it's a different way of receiving you know, the good. It just it's it's amazing how it works. So, but you have to have to have some faith to get in there and just work for the greater good. Right, and I think that when I think it overwhelms people. Like when we talk like that, I think that when you talk in big spectrum like that, it goes, oh my gosh, that's so much, I can't do it. So if we just talk about it, like if we take the Gita and we just talk a little bit about, how about we just take a thought and go, what would we like to do for someone today? Yeah. Right? Um, and of course, right in my head, I go to people go, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I have yeah. like 17 conversations going on in my head and at one time. Um, but no, you but know. Here's, here's the thing. It's, it's baby. It goes back to baby steps. Yes. Like all of these things do. Yes. And this was a big thing at McDonald's for a while before the pandemic. Yeah. Like, look at or, that! Or, I must be promoing it. Or Dunkin' Donuts, and I would do it a lot. You just sit there, and it's it's judging, and I feel guilty about the judging part of it. But sometimes I look behind me in line. I do. <laughs> I look behind me in line and say, "I want to buy that person their coffee today." Oh, I do that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I don't do it like I don't do it just to do the person behind me. Sometimes I look at them and go, and "They look like they're busy, or they look like they're upset, or you yeah. know, they, you know, this mom is." You know, going around with a couple of kids, she's probably tired. You just get to the point where you feel good about, okay, I'm just going to do this. It's a small thing. Right. It's, it, it's just weird how it pays off. It's, and, it, and it does. Oh, and really quick story. It was, it was at Christmas time. I tend to, I, I do it all year, but I tend to do it a little bit more at Christmas time. And there was a guy in front of me at line, in front of me in line um, at Dunkin' Donuts, and I wanted to get his coffees. It didn't matter to me how much. Like, I knew he was going to have a few and a couple yeah. other things. So it was probably going to be like $15, $20. I didn't care. He refused. He was like, he would not let me. Like, yeah. he was like, no, 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 it's too much. No, 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 you can't do that. He, like, yeah. it was, it, no matter what I did to try to do it. So it just made me think of, like, how yeah. how he was so guilty. Right. He felt guilty about taking that. And I'm like. But the thought landed. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And he was very appreciative of it. But it was just the thought that yeah. someone would go outside. And you could tell he had that that moment of, why would you do that? Yeah. And, um. Because that's not part of his world and his thinking, right? Right, or not part of well, his environment. Not, it didn't come outside of that little spot of his exposure range. That someone, why would someone do that? I'm not worthy. But I mean, that I opened the window, the though. That, that opened the window for him to sit there and go, "Why would someone do that?" Right. You know. Right. And you could see that churning in his head, like, "Why? Why are you doing that?" Yeah. Like I just, and, and it was like, "Oh, it's okay. I just want to do that." He's like, "No, it's too much. I have too many people. It's okay." And I'm like, "No, I really want to do it." Yeah. And that that um, as you were just saying, like looking at the person, you could see the the self worth of the you know that slump of body language of like oh I'm yeah this I'm not worthy of getting this I'm not deserving and yeah. how um, that part of his wheel clearly yeah. listen needs... I'm not buying coffee for the Maserati behind me that, I'm not I'm going to be doing that but th there are people you look at when you're sitting in line waiting at the drive through right. and you go oh, I bet that I bet it would give them a you know a little give lift. a little smile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or and, and so I mean, this, talk about a great piece of. I your, do it for first responders your, all the time. Your, if there's a well, cop yeah, in front of me, and I know the cops don't pay if they're in a cruiser, but right. sometimes you get a state police sticker on there, or, you right. know, you know, right. or, firefighter sticker. Well, yeah, and I was gonna say it's a, it's part of the spiritual piece of your you know building a faith and hope in something. Okay? Right. When people say, say spiritual, when I say it, I think like that. It's not about religion. No. So I'm. So this is part of that spiritual growth for you. It's about being able to connect and do something nice in the world conserving your energy by expending it in a really healthy community give back way that makes anxiety come down because like wow you had a purpose to do something nice for someone and you know it could be you know I, for some reason i end up with people in front of me a lot that are tend to be a little bit older or someone that's struggling physically and they're counting out change yeah yeah exactly right and they they're you know they're, they're sh or they're short yep. and i just kind of like throw out like a dollar and be like it's good you're good and they're like no 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 no. you know it's like yep i got it yep. just because it's like why why not what's yep. the big deal but it's you know and that spiritually grows them yeah and yourself and it's not because you're just doing something to get a kudo it's like wow you know, just take care of the other person and that's how you're growing that and i think a lot of people are missing that yep um i have conversations like that all the time about like do something nice for someone else <laughs> the extra buck or two on a tip is a big thing too right you know it's just you're sitting there what you can buy for an extra buck or two because it really doesn't make a difference to you probably doesn't make a difference to them but they look at it and go, oh wow thanks and it's just like 
you know, the work I'm putting in is worthwhile. And, what I, yeah. and, well, and, and, and to that point, right, talk about, or, you know, building that spoke of the wheel. I have a friend that, and she's gotten me into a pattern of doing this now that she leaves only cash tips because she's, she's being mindful of the fact that the amount of money taken from all the other tips that are put on the card or whatever, yeah. that this is some, you know, you know, you leave a $25 cash tip versus they're going to end up getting 1250 out of it when everything else that they've gotten that day has also been taxed. It's like, yep. it's just, you know, cause you know yep. that they account for it on some little part of the, um, formula for it as cash, but it's much better because she's like, I'm considering what their loss is right. over other people that don't do that. Um, and that's a great shift in mindset to be able to just do that. Now to carry cash. That's a whole different I, thing. I, I yeah. That's what I was going to say. That's a bit like, of a it's sacrifice. Really hard I never carry cash. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. so I've started doing that, but then I find that I use it. Yep. And not that place. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then when I go to get it, I'm like, oh, I don't have that anymore. Um, but yeah, so so building. But that's also a mindset of dealing in the positive as opposed to dealing in the negative. Right. If you're swimming around all day in your parents, dis you're 40 years old and your parents' dissatisfaction of a decision that you made, mm -hmm. or you can swim all day and I'm going to help that person with an extra buck and a tip, or I'm going to pay them cash, or right. I'm going to buy a coffee for a guy behind me. It's just it's it's the same world. It's just a different. You're looking out a different window. Right. Well, and, and so I was going to go back to sort of about that, about that um, when we first started talking about like being conscious of what other people think mm -hmm. is um, the other theme of many people. And I get this a lot with people who I'm working with in addiction is judgment, is how much judgment has been trained into you that you're being judged. Therefore, you have to judge everything you're doing because you're going to be judged yeah. and how that impacts your wheel. Across, like around the whole wheel because I can think of like an example or two or ten in almost every single wheel of I don't do or I do do based on the judgment I think I'm going to get, might yep. get, I would or I would be judging it so therefore they must be judging it, that kind of thing. Right. And how to really um, take a good awareness look at that so that because um, at the end of the day again, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like if you chose the Jeep over the Audi or if you got a cat and they didn't want you to get a cat or, you know, thinking of the different examples, right? Yeah. Um, you know, why do you have that? You know, well, and it's not about what anybody else wants, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, is it rational, reasonable, realistic yeah. for you? Thank God, you get to drive the thing. Yeah. Get something you want. Exactly. Right. Right. And, and in general, like it's, you know, Basic things, people base their, you know, when I work with people on weight loss or weight, just eating in general, um, people socially base a lot of their decisions on what other people around them are eating. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's very subconscious. It's like, you go first. So the table starts getting normed and the, the happiness of the moment is like, oh, if they're going to get that, then I'll get this instead of so you know and i'm notorious for being an uh, um, last orderer because i never know what i want but i don't base it off of what other people eat i just want to go last because i want to be like i don't know what I want. No, it's but, funny because i'm i'm that person too and i was just questioning why i do it right it normally get to the table and it'd be like start with them i'll be ready by the time you know i haven't quite made a decision but i'll be ready right. by the time right and so and i know that i actively don't make a decision based on what other people yeah. want because I know this is part of the psychology of it but by and large when you sit down at a table when someone starts ordering how many times have you heard someone say oh I was going to have this but I'm going to have what they're having because it sounds bad yeah. like all of a sudden it influences or you or does the table get normed to the point where you've got two salads in front of you Right. You're not going to go for the pasta, right. but you got two pastas in front of you. you go, okay, I can go. Right. Everyone's it's, sensibility is here and for the, and eating. That's, and yeah. that's to the point of there's yeah. where your well, your wellness wheel is not you taking care of it. It's you you doing the bidding of what other people are dictating as a group norm for you, and and you didn't even realize that you participated in it, but yet you did. It's kind of yeah. like when everyone else is eating dessert, I won't eat dessert because I actively make a choice not to do that. Yep. Occasionally, I'll do that or I'll have like a little sliver because it's someone's birthday or something like that, but by and large, it's because I'm aware of it. So I ask people that are listening, be aware of where you're being influenced yeah. so that you don't feel like you have no say or that you, after you've eaten something, you go, I shouldn't have eaten that. Why? Why did you eat it? Well, because it was on the table. Yeah. 
Like, well, you didn't have to. Yeah, but it was there. We're back to the we're back to the observer position. What did you call it the other day? I was trying to remember the term. The, the point where um, you're being buffeted by your mind and your likes and dislikes, your wants and your the things you don't want, and there's a there's another level above that that takes a look and makes a more intellectual decision. In other words, your mind and your and your uh, what's ingrained in you, your right. uh, programming, your conditioning. Yes. Uh, keeps telling you things all the time, and a lot of people live in that, and that's who they think they are. Right. But then there's there's that consciousness above that that hopefully makes some decisions and thinks about it, is more aware of it right. than others. So, yeah. It's, well, that's I the, call it the so observer position. Well, it's, so yeah. that's the, the ego observer. Yeah. It's your reality observing in. So I don't remember. I do remember what a, we talked about. Yeah, you had a phrase, I and I go, oh, that's a great phrase for, for um, it. But, I'll have to go back. Was yeah. it last week? I'll have to go back. Um, but you're usually doing self, you know, it's the self-observation with the ego. So it's the reality. It's difference between I am angry and I feel angry. Feel angry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So because I am not angry. Right. I feel that way. Right. And being able to really designate it. My mind um, is telling me to be angry. Right. But my intellect is reasoning with that. Right. Well, hopefully. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'll have to go back and look, but I, but it's essentially it's the ego obser observation. So mm -hmm. it's checking in on the the three R's: reasonable, rational, realistic of what's really going on here in the in the space to be able to see it for what it is, kind of thing. That's yeah. what I think you're referencing. Yeah. So and that's so that and that's how you build your wheel to make sure it's it's functioning properly. So you know to get I know that we're going to run short on time here eventually so I'm just giving people like an update on when you want to do your wheel just start with the basics social mm -hmm. um, emotional health uh, physical exercise you know physicality relationships family job um, financial friends financial mm -hmm. right so all those things are so you have all those pieces and just really you know put in each of those little spokes what things are are the things that keep it working and then when it's on a simple day when things are like ah this hasn't been a good day look at your wheel and go where do i need to move this i think what you're going to find too one of the best things that are going to come out of that is you're going to find how much you transfer right you know you're having trouble with your you're mad at your daughter right but it's because you know your tax your tax bill here. came due right and exactly. you're a little bit strained financially and you're transferring that anger into another part of your right well and it's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a constant projection and deflection yeah so it's the energy expenditure versus the conservation of like where are you expending it yeah. because it's easier it's like oh i had a bad day at work but i'm going to come home and be a nightmare at home yeah. kind of thing it's like well yeah but now you're moving yeah. energy from one thing to another that's not supposed to be there had it fight at home so i'm going to take it out on social media people right. i don't know i'm going to whip them <laughs> you go right back to that lou you it, go it was right a back. struggle for me a whole session yeah. for you on social media it was a struggle for me it, it's less so now i know not much at all say, actually there's not much going on i mean the fact that you know you turn on news at night and they're talking about cardi b's grinding <laughs> on the grammys <laughs> And Bill Burr being canceled, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, we've gone to it cancel. Everyone's canceled. Yep. Cancel. <laughs> Don't cancel me, please. No. Thank you. <laughs> that's an, in in this business. That's an anxiety nowadays. Yeah. You do watch um, what you say. So, so, so the takeaway today, though, is is really go ahead and make a wellness wheel, do your own, and then first step around it is just be super aware of it. Just having it as a visual. Yeah, and when you're when you're upset or feel anxious or something, try to put a pin in what in, part of the of the wellness wheel is, is being invaded. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's just a good start, because you know it, therapy takes time, obviously, and working through the process is way longer than I have to talk about it. Even though we talked about the pieces of it, but it's really if you could start there, that that's just to be able to identify and identifying something instead of going, I'm anxious and I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well. Now you have the perfect tool to go, I'm anxious, and I'm going to figure out why. Get a red thumbtack and just put it and right put in it that right part in of the, the wheel. Center and right, yeah. right on one of the pieces that's not working, and then, and then it's easier because then you'll be like, oh, I know that. Because if, if I can leave anything today with people is you're never anxious for nothing. Right. There's always a thought that has driven the anxiety feeling, and the thought's based on something that's past or coming right. that you're anticipating. It's not necessarily real. It's usually not right. going to happen. That's the first question, right? Is this real? Right. Yeah. yeah. Is what I'm upset about a real threat? Real, right. Yeah, a real thing. Yeah. Right. Is it realistic that this is going to happen? Yeah. So, 
All right. Well, this was a lovely week, <laughs> and it is St. Patrick's Day, so everyone be careful out there. I know that I know that there's places open. Yes. And and doing fine Irish fare today, laddies. I know. Lasses. I got to do something. Huh? I'm Irish. I got to do something today. Well, I'm kind of lost St. Patrick's Day. I know. I've. That's why I didn't even wear green today. Yeah. I came in and no one's wearing green here. I'm like, where's all your green? They're like, we forgot. <laughs> so, um, anyway, you guys have a fantastic week, and I will see you back here next week. All right. <laughs>